Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 193. Who wants to hear our stories? I do. Do you want to? Yes. I want to hear Matt's story. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, this is Lori Creek and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everybody every day. I am your host, Lori Creek, and I have alongside me my favorite husband is what I almost said. <laughs> That'd be wrong. It's a, it's a hard, hard battle to win that, that honor as your only one. My favorite but. and only husband and favorite therapist in all the world, although he's not my therapist, Matt Krieg. Hello. Hey, Matt. How are you doing today? Doing all right. Yeah? How are you? I'm doing great. Steve, how are you? Uh, I'll get back to you on that. Right. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. All right. And that voice that you just heard or face you just saw, if you're watching us on YouTube, is Steve, producer Steve, who is our favorite producer and most (laughs) professional radio voice among us. Steve, welcome. Hi, guys. Officially welcome. (laughs) Guys, I can't wait for you to hear or watch this episode today. We do have this podcast on all the the podcast outlets as well as YouTube if you want to see our fancy new set that we talked about last time. But today we're going to talk about our stories. Even if you said answered no to who wants to hear our stories, not me. (laughs) Well, kids, you're going to have to turn it off because that's where we're going today. But we really want to get to know, you want you guys to get to know us, but we want to get to know you all a little bit first through the question of the week from last time. And it is this, how would you fill in the blank? Nothing makes geriatric because you guys, we're all getting old. We're all, we're all just going to call ourselves geriatric in our insert your generation. Nothing gets them going like, and then insert something from your generation. So Steve, I'm going to throw to you. What did you see on Facebook? Which guys pause before you answer. Mm -hmm. If you guys want to answer these questions of the week, you got to friend me on, on Facebook. I know it's Facebook. If you don't go on Facebook, I'm sorry. That's where I was. I go the most. I will also start posting these on Instagram. I have yet to break the TikTok wall. But you know what? I'm going to stick to Instagram and Facebook. So you can follow me there. I usually post these on, let's be honest, we record these on Wednesdays, Tuesday night. Uh, You can also (laughs) join our Hole in My Heart podcast Facebook group, which has been dormant for about a year, but uh, it is woken back up with this podcast coming back. So you guys can search Hole in My Heart podcast. We'll ask you a couple of questions that you can answer. Just don't answer creepy and we'll let you in the group. Okay, Steve, finally, okay. which did you like the best? Well, Hannah, uh, she's from my generation, Generation X. The best generation? Well, I don't know because <laughs> what she said I can relate to, but I'm a little embarrassed. Uh, nobody gets geriatric Gen Xers going like, do they know it's Christmas by Band-Aid? Mm. Oh, boy. That's I was a just going to say song. nobody gets Gen X going like MTV, which, oh, of right. course, featured that video, you know. Can you sing nauseum. a tiny bit in case people don't know what it do is? Do they know it's Christmas time <laughs> at all? Do they even know? They, apparently not. Are they being not. mean about it when they say that? Do they even know a little, Christmas? A, yeah, I don't know. Is that I the Gen X the, attitude, though? The, we're trying to be empathetic, and yet somehow we come across <laughs> a little superior. Um, I really liked what Dennis said. Nobody, uh, Nothing gets geriatric millennials going like Mr. Brightside by the Killers. Yeah. Because that's a song I actually like better. Aww. But I don't belong to that generation, so I'm just kind of on the outside mm. 
appreciating it. Uh, well, you you can be honorary millennial if you want to, <laughs> <laughs> just so that we can remove that Gen X superiority. Okay, thank you. Okay, okay. Yes. Matt Krieg, how about you? Yeah, I really liked what Georgie on Facebook said. Uh, mill- nothing gets geriatric millennials going like Heaven by DJ Sammy. Matt, you're going to have to sing it because what is that song? Steve, we don't know. No. We really, really need you to sing it. We're in heaven. It just starts like that, I think. Then what? It's a little creepy. (laughs) I know. It is a little creepy. Um, But then it's, baby, you're all that I want. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's Brian Adams. Wait, wait, wait. They're co-opting the Gen X song. No, we invented (laughs) it. It was only us. Oh, (laughs) wow. We've we've got a conundrum here. <laughs> really? Is it? Yes. Oh well. Sorry. Really? I, I I actually really like a Brian Adams song, yeah. "Summer of '69." Uh, yeah. So, I listen to that one a lot. My kids know it, and they are not Gen Xers or Gen well, Millennials. See. I don't even know what generation they are. <laughs> I liked this from Nate. He said, "Nothing gets geriatric millennials going like Extreme Makeover Home Edition." Mm. Oh, remember when oh. that was life? Move that, was, that bus. Move. And everyone's like, oh, what's it? What's the reaction? And everyone right. watching is crying. Everyone's right. crying. Ty? Mm-hmm. Ty? What was it, right? That was his Ty name? Ty something. Ty yes. Sheridan, right? I don't know. Isn't Ty, he? he's hanging out. He's still hanging out. He's still in there. there. He's still around. I also liked this from our friend Heather Scriba. She's been on the podcast mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. She said, nothing gets geriatric side beers. So that's people who hold <laughs> to the traditional view of marriage, but identify somewhere in the LGBTQ, SSA, or same-sex attracted field. She said, nothing gets them going like the Hole in My Heart podcast. Oh, Oy. wow. There it is. Well, thanks so much, guys, <laughs> for offering many of your uh, ideas. I really was a little anxious when I was writing up the please answer this question (laughs) because I didn't know if anyone would get it, but you guys got it. So you're our people and we appreciate you. All right, guys, it's time to shift now to get to know us a little better and specifically you, Steve. Okay. (laughs) Dun, 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 dun. Oh, what was the other geriatric millennials? The, um, who wants to be a millionaire? Oh, wow. Remember yeah. when that was also everything? It was yes. Every joke. Is that your final answer? Right, right. Are you going to phone a friend? <laughs> anyway, yeah. Steve, let's get to know you. And the question for you, this is kind of how we're going to frame our testimonies, for lack of a better term, or our stories. Um, Matt and I are a part of a small group, and this is how we pitched it to them to get to know each mm-hmm. other. And it was helpful to kind of have the structure. Otherwise, mm-hmm. somebody overshares or undershares, and it's weird. Okay, so this is the question. Even if you didn't recognize God's hand in your life at the time, how did God meet you in your suffering as a kid, as a young adult, and now? So Steve, we'll start with you, and thank you for going first. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm a child of the 70s. I'm a teen of the 80s, as we just covered. (laughs) Um, And... I grew up in the church. Uh, My parents had us going to church um, from birth. And uh, so I learned about the gospel. I learned about uh, Jesus. And I uh, prayed a prayer of salvation at like five. I was baptized at, I think, seven. Uh, Went to public school. And uh, I think the suffering happened in the mm, isolation. I just remember a lot of loneliness. I and it was at that uh, era when when parents were just like sending their kids out. You know, they talk about it now. How Latch like kids. well, it's sort of like you know, you're just out playing all day. Oh, Your parents yeah, aren't yeah. aware of where you are. You get home at some point when you're hungry, and you know. And so I was out there as uh, walking to school, uh, and um, 
it was kids on that walk that first um, introduced me to porn. Mm -hmm. And it was also in that era, you know, of the 70s. And there's just, you know, I think probably um, conservative Christian people didn't know what was going on in the culture. And uh, so anyway, so I was exposed to that. And um, I was a very curious kid. So it kind of like answered a few questions, but it also opened a lot more questions up because something mm -hmm. seemed not right about it. And so I just thought there's this dichotomy between what I experience at home and at church and out here in the world. Yeah. So uh, there was just a lot of um, just big question marks and not knowing who to go to with that. Um, so a lot of isolation. However, there was one kid who befriended me at school. His name was Jimmy Scoggins, and he stood up for me when I was being bullied, bullied like literally on the schoolyard. And he literally said, pick on someone your own size. So oh. a lot of cliches, but that was very redemptive in, in that, in that time. And, uh, he was a good friend that was not a part of some of the bad stuff that was going on in my life. So I, I, uh, remember that as kind of a light in that time of darkness. Mm. Um, over time, um, I went, you know, from, uh, just having this, stuff thrown in my face to actually seeking it out. And so I became, uh, more the agent in, um, in that, uh, what became an addiction, um, in high school. And I started going to a Christian school. And so again, I didn't know like how, who can I talk to about this? Or felt I just like felt a double life. Yes. Very much a double life and a very isolated part. And, um, and that, so that grew over time. And, um, one thing that's kind of cool, um, is that when I met Kelly, my wife, mm -hmm. uh, she had a similar background. She had also been exposed to some things. And so she and I were able to talk and I didn't feel any kind of, um, you know, freak out from her, mm -hmm. um, which was different, you know, from a lot of, uh, Christian high school and college girls I dated. I just kind of knew, you know, keep that over here and don't talk about it. However, like I didn't really uh, go into the current struggle that I was in. It was mm -hmm. all kind of like talking about childhood. Right. Um, so anyway, so that was uh, where she and I related and I, I did bring it into the marriage. And um, so. And by that, you mean you brought the addiction into yes, the marriage. It right. wasn't like a participatory. No, situation. right, okay. right, right, right. Yeah, that. no, it was definitely compartmentalized yeah, over yeah. here. Yeah. And um, again, I think I'm probably not alone in that. I know I've heard a lot yeah. of stories where that's the case. Yeah. And, you know, the other myth that uh, once I'm married, this won't be a problem anymore. Um, heard that one. Yes, I'm sure you have. Yeah. You said that one <laughs> to yourself at one point. Right. So, um, Long story short, uh, I, I ended up in a depression, and my depression was very much fueled by, you know, shame and guilt. How old were you at this point? Uh, this would be like early 20s, okay. into, into my 20s. And um, that kind of like compartmentalization, mm -hmm. and also it affected my faith because I had been praying that God would take this away. Right. You know, that it would just be like, please just make the person I present to the world the real me. Mm. And um, and I just felt like uh, God didn't, for whatever reason, want to do that. And so I felt like there's something about me um, that's different from, you know, people's testimonies that I hear where they're clearly feeling God's love. You know, I just felt kind of not in in on that. 
And so anyway, so we, uh, I left my job, we moved to Mississippi and this was the era that I call, uh, going into the wilderness. So like because I, of Mississippi or well, soul wilderness, both, both very much. I think I thought, well, if I just get a change of environment, a change of job, I can change some things mm-hmm. that are, you know, the internal things. Uh, so we moved to Mississippi. I took a new job um, and uh, that job ended up being um, I was alone a lot and I was on the road. I was it was I was a traveling kind of thing. And so that was not good mm-hmm. for the stuff that I was going through. Mm-hmm. But again, there, I had a great uh, boss, um, and he was very kind. He was teaching me this uh, new industry that I was kind of getting into. Um, And so for a while, I felt like there was a good connection there. But, uh, you know, he wanted to expand the company, and so I ended up uh, back working by myself quite a lot. Um, And so during that time, I think the double life, like, really took root. And... um, I also was struggling just with like church culture and feeling like um, it was very, it it felt very shallow to me and because I was having like really deep questions and it didn't feel like it was, uh, those were being addressed. Mm -hmm. So there was this like cynical jaded part of me that started to emerge as well. What was the deep question that you were asking then? Like what was something that you felt was unanswered by the church? Um, Things... Like, uh, you know, like if you're really seeking God, um, he'll be there for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just felt like with this uh, thing that I was trying to address now, now in hindsight, I can see I was trying to address it in my way. You know, I was trying to get God to do something that like in the way I would do it if I was God. And he's like, no, I'm God. um, And we're going to deal with this, but it's going to be in my way, which is in community. And we're going to expose this. We're not going to keep it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so that was what had to happen. So God did answer the prayer, but at the time I was like, it needs to look like this. It needs to happen like this. Like a magical. Right. Where I don't get in trouble, you know, (laughs) basically I don't get exposed. Um, and I can maintain my image. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was what I was going through, but at the time I could only see how, you know, it seemed God was distant. And uh, so anyway, um, I think maybe if, if people had just, I, I don't want to say what people should have done differently, but at the time I think probably I would have maybe responded to somebody just being there, just saying, you know, and for the most part, Kelly did. It was difficult for her to live with a depressed person, um, but she really leaned on God during that time. And that taught me a lot just watching her. Mm-hmm. So what would you have wanted people to say then? Um, just um, not trying to give me platitudes, I guess, mm-hmm. and Maybe fix it okay. with, um, with God's here for you and we're here for you, but Ugh. actually be there for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Amen. Anyway. Um, so I got to a really, really low point in Mississippi in early 2000. And, um, it was, there was one particular night, Kelly and the kids had come up North to visit her parents. I had to stay there for work. Uh, the company wasn't doing well, but I didn't know how well it wasn't doing because the, the boss, you know, he was very positive and optimistic and he kept a lot of the details of, uh, uh, kind of 
how the company was failing from the employees. But uh, there was this one particular night that uh, I was just feeling really crappy about myself. And um, I also had a smoking addiction, um, which uh, I, it's funny. It's like, um, you know, that movie um, uh, far and away, there's the old guy, the Irish guy uh, who has, he's an alcoholic Mm. and he hides this drink in the, like in their bookcase. Mm. And uh, the, the wife is like, what are you doing? And he's like, nothing. And he's like, Um, and that was me with smoking. I knew that Uh. Kelly hated it, but instead of being like, sorry, this is what I want to do. I would try to like hide it. Wow. More fragmentation. Exactly. Very much more segmentation. And it's interesting. Just like coping begets coping. Yes. Like you were, you had oh, this right. internal heart pain and desires mm-hmm. that we've talked about. And then you go to coping with porn and you to cope with porn, you go to smoking. Right. It's just, and emotional, just worse and worse about yeah. yourself. Yes. Emotional Tylenol. Well, yeah. and, and all the while your safety comes from deception or omission. Yeah. Just being unseen, which leaves you more in that isolation. Exactly. More, more of like the cycle deepens and yes. continues. Yeah. So it was definitely this Oof. cycle I was in and that was the low point. And uh, so I found myself outside on my driveway in like February of 2000 at 2 a.m. Wow. And it was Mississippi, so it wasn't like winter like it is here. Uh, It was like just a very quiet, still night. The air was just like stagnant. And um, I remember being out there and I actually did just cry out to God. I was like, if you are real, I need something right now. I need you. And that was about all I had, but it just like came from my soul, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, this is the only, this was, I was doing listening prayer, but I didn't realize it at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And um, there was this just stir of wind. I remember there was this like big magnolia tree right by me and it started moving. And I just heard in my spirit, I am here, I love you, and everything's gonna be okay. Wow. There was no like, I'm bringing this you know, cycle of addiction to an end. It was just like, mm-hmm. I am here. That was what my soul needed at that moment. And the presence um, that you were craving from others, right. God was there. Yes. So um, the next day I go into work and find out that the company's going out of business. <laughs> Gosh, and, uh, but I was like excited yeah. because I was like, I just heard this thing last night. And I know everything is going to be okay. Like I just like Aww. knew it in my guts. And, um, so anyway, so that was just the, I think, uh, the beginning of a long journey back um, that I'm still on. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> we ended up uh, moving back to Michigan, um, and I got a job eventually, uh, which was where I met you. Yeah. Um, and uh, Doing radio drama. D- doing creations. producing radio drama, right. Yep. Uh, now in a Christian organization, but I still had this part of me that wasn't yet uh, yeah. known, but the question of God was now like settled. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that was um, a, a big, a big piece of it. So anyway, so uh, I think your dad, Randy, mm-hmm. um, his presence in my life was very much, again, uh, God being there in that time of suffering. And uh, my friend, Andrew, um, who eventually when uh, my porn addiction got exposed, it was uh, Andrew that was there and one other guy at my church that walked with me through that. Mm. Um, and so that was in 2001. And so God did answer that prayer 
that I had prayed many, many years before, but in his way, uh, which is about uh, community and um, bringing light to that darkness and exposing it versus just magically making it, I know. you know. So anyway, um, so that would be... That was young adult. 20s into yep. 30s. And, uh, and, and so now, um, uh, where am I at now? Not perfect. I, uh, I don't smoke anymore. I know. It's so funny when you said that. I've, you've said that before. Yeah. I, was like, I can't even picture it. Right. But that's good that God I know. broke that. Yes. Um, and I've got like my quit date on that one. What's that? Which has been really helpful. Uh, June 15, 2006. Good for you. Yeah. And that has been really helpful. And it, it does help to have sobriety uh, because you're like, I don't want to lose that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, but also I have found that, you know, like white knuckling only, can only last for a certain amount of time, yeah. you know, and, uh, I'm still wrestling with the idea of that label of addict, you know, um, mm. and the, the kind of the AA model is that that's always going to be something true about me. Um, I'm just in recovery right now. And I'm like, but what about transformation? So I'm still wrestling with that. And, yeah. um, and I've got four boys, and um, they're all in process of things that I've been through that has been um, hard to see. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But also, I know God has me in their life um, for a reason, and they know all my stuff. And so they're at least able to, say, to see somebody who has come out of it. Um, and so... God's using that. What I love in your story, and Matt, I'd love to hear your reflection on Steve's story mm -hmm. too, uh, is I'm thinking of the word that we talked about during the last episode where you said you're looking forward to integrating parts mm -hmm. of your life that even in just hearing your story, and I've heard it a couple times before, but hearing the integration theme that God wants to do with you, yeah. like he's so honest. God is so honest. And so like, here's the Old Testament and here's Abraham and he sells his wife out and <laughs> yeah. here's right. David and he's a loser, but he doesn't even <laughs> judge it. He just like shows you. Mm. And so for us, like in the church, it's so easy and a temptation, I would say, to fragment and that it's not fruit of a healthy church or healthy person. Right. So I love that even in the midst of the suffering of walking with your kids and your own self, that you're pursuing integration in the power of the Spirit. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we had our, uh, you know, pastors that we spoke with, um, Broken and Beloved, and there is something about being in ministry work of some kind, yeah. that there is this temptation to kind of like... Hide Keep that, that over Keep here. That over here. Right. And Steve is referencing the Broken and Beloved Pastors series. I don't remember which episode, but we will link to it in the yeah, show notes. Yeah, it's in the 90s. I know that mm -hmm. much. Oh, good for you, Matt. <laughs> we will link to that in the show notes. Matt, any reflections on Steve's story? Well, I, I think the biggest reflection I have is just how similar. Mm -hmm. Like there, there's a lot of resonance with with your story because it, it matches up with a lot of mine with depression and porn addiction. And I didn't have the smoking addiction, but that's probably just because I didn't ever start. Right. Like, that. like um, You did video games. 
I, was, I was, it was like I, I phone games. I, well, <laughs> that, that was yeah, maybe no, your I, the, the screen addiction is, <laughs> yeah. was all wrapped yeah. up with with the porn addiction and and everything for me. But yeah, just it's such a familiar story mm. to me. Mm -hmm. um, and as you're talking about, you know, coming back from Mississippi and finding out about like the the, the company going under, and and there's a sense of of excitement. Yeah, like that, that everything's going to be okay. I remember feeling that when we were coming back from California as well. That once I was fired, mm. it was this sense of relief, huh. almost. Um, so Matt, let's segue to your story then. Mm -hmm. That's a mm -hmm. good uh, natural place. So I'll ask you the question again. Um, even if you didn't recognize his God's hand in your life at the time, how did God meet you in your suffering as a kid, mm -hmm. as a young adult or adultish, and now? Would you be willing to share yeah. that with us? Yeah. So so like Steve, um, I was introduced to pornography at a fairly young age. I was eleven, um, and actually, until you were talking, Steve, I never put together that I was introduced to porn at 11. And then when I was 12 and 13 is when I went through the deepest depression in my life. Mm. Mm. Um, and it was, you know, so I was in junior high and um, was actively contemplating suicide pretty regularly. No one knew about it. Um, but I remember one night being in my room and thinking about hanging myself. Mm. Um, and there was a song by uh, a group called Blink-182 that came on. Nothing gets geriatric. <laughs> 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 yeah, Blink One Eighty Two. Like, go ahead, it's yeah, serious, this it's one, serious. this one was actually their their song. I, I think it was a a song they wrote after one of their friends had committed suicide, um, and it always talked about you know how sixteen held such better days. But at this particular juncture, you know how they used to not play the final verse of songs on the radio; they yeah. would cut off and then fade into the next song or whatever. Um, they actually played the last verse this particular night as I was thinking about this. And instead of saying 16 held, it says tomorrow holds such better days. Hmm. Um, and the next day I would went to church and two of the guys that were older than me that I really looked up to, but I thought like, just, Wait, can you pause hearing that verse though? You were going to. Oh yeah. I was, I was, night. I was that verse of the song because it was played that stopped you in your tracks. Mm-hmm. So you yes. didn't do it. So I didn't. I didn't, didn't do tell it. anyone. I didn't tell anyone. And I, then you go to church the next day. Yeah, I didn't know I could tell anyone. I had no words for. I mean, depression and and all of this was not something that was talked about. Mm -hmm. right. You know, in what, whatever that was, ninety six, ninety seven. Um, but anyway, that yeah, the next day at church, these two guys that I looked up to that I didn't even really think knew me at all like invited me to to come and be a part of the youth group and and their names were Brian Haas and Matt Gayhart and mm -hmm. um they were older than me I, I just I had such a respect for them and to hear that they actually were like hey we like you we think you're cool we want to hang out with you you're worth something to us was was definitely one of those very very tangible moments of of God's provision being manifest like in relationship um, and so that pulled me out of depression and, and like, I, I feel like that was the first instance of, of getting to know God. But, um, over the course of time, I, I still went to pornography. I still, like, I didn't beat that, um, out of my life. And, and so that became something that became more and more and more entrenched in, um, and to the point where 
it was in college and I tried to beat it on my own power with, with a group of guys to get it out of my life. And I, I thought I was doing well, but then we got, Lori and I got married and we went through a season of, um, kind of being very separate, um, in our lives. She was working early. I was in seminary. I was doing my internship and, and then falling really, really, really hardly, hardly falling really hard back into it Mm -hmm. to the point where it became a daily, a daily habit again. Um, and that's when I feel like my addiction truly took hold of me, um, and became depressed again, um, over time, but not to the point of wanting to commit suicide. But, um, when God met me there was the, the night that I, um, was praying against a, a spirit in our apartment, and we were out in California. Lori Which, had, for those, I did need to do a little clarifying. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. But um, while Matt was in this uh, porn-addicted, depressed state, and we were serving at-risk youth in California, so we had moved from Michigan, uprooted to California, and Matt, I don't know any other word to say it, but was kind of mean. And that's what... Um, that's well, what, what porn can do to you mm-hmm. is because you are the dopamine, oxytocin, biochemical love potion is having you attached to the screen rather than your spouse. Um, and so you're only meant to attach to one person. And so it creates an out group. And so because he was attaching to the screen, I became the out group uh, in his life. And so he was never like abusive or anything verbally, emotionally, physically, but it was just kind of mean. And I'll share my more of my story in a bit. But I was like, oh, so I guess that this is what marriage is, is it sucks. <laughs> and I went, I'm not kidding. I, But I, meanwhile, I'm like, well, what do you do? I'm going to just go try and learn about Jesus. And so I started a, I joined a small group where people like, it was different than my West Michigan Baptist non-denom roots where people like really believed that God was real. Not that they didn't, but really were more engaging, more like the Holy Spirit and like spirits of darkness. And I was like, I don't know. Wow. They actually believe this. And so I had been praying over our home this night that Matt's talking about because I was like, something feels off. I got up to feed the baby. We had a seven-month-old baby or, yeah. And um, I was like, there's something dark in this house. And and I had simultaneously been regularly praying whenever Matt would drive me nuts, which was all the time. I would just say, God, make him like Jesus. So that night I woke Matt up and I was like, there's something dark in this house that I just need help. Can you help me like pray about this? Do your manly duty and head of the household. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> and you prayed. Yeah. And that was the same attitude that I approached this prayer with is like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> and so like I prayed though, like God, let, let no spirit remain in this home that is not of you. Um, and didn't really know that I was praying against what I was bringing into mm the home. And so Lori went back to bed and she has this superpower where she falls asleep in like five seconds. Our second daughter has it too. If you're going to have a superpower, falling asleep quickly and anywhere is a good that one. That is a good one. That's yeah. a nice one. Yes, thanks. Um, I, however, didn't. I I was up for like two and a half hours wrestling with God because he was telling me, you need to confess. You need to tell Lori. You need to tell the one you've wronged. I was begging God, let me tell a friend, someone else who might understand. Um, and he was like, no. And so I'm, I was a little sarcastic with God and I was like, fine. 
If Lori wakes up right now, I will tell her. It's like and, three. And at like three in the morning. And and then oh, I'm I was like, saying you're like three years old. Oh well, also, <laughs> also, I'm like a petulant three major. Yes, as we are, as <laughs> yes. we are with God at um, times. But then I'm like, I'm I'm like rolling onto my side because I'm a side sleeper, and I'm just gonna kind of get snuggly and try and fall asleep. But as I like roll on my side, my it's like someone pushes my elbow and my arm flings out and hits Lori in the shoulder. And she rolls over and is like, what? And I'm like, ah, fine. That was not the F word that I thought, but that was the one that I said was fine. And then came the the part, the, the hardest, probably three days of my life of confession and actually being honest about all of the things that I'd been struggling with and, and the depth of it and the reality of it. Um, but then also really feeling in that three days for the first time in my adult life, like a, a true connection with God, mm-hmm. um, because there wasn't this, this stuff just like hanging between both me and Lori, but also me and God. Mm. Um, and so just learning through that confession, God's love for me, um, that, that just really deepened because of that. And, and he held me through that. And, and that started just a new trajectory in my life of, of being free of porn and not going back to it and then learning about core needs and all the stuff that, that we talk about. We'll explain more about core needs next week. In order to, to really understand um, that, that porn was not, yes, porn was an issue, but it wasn't the root of the issue and, and really understanding more the root of my issues. Um, more recently, you know, so that was, that was young adult. I was 29, 30 years old. Um, more recently, God has been with me in suffering and really showing me the extent that I am still um, very idolatrous of my own kind of self-reliance, of my own abilities to handle things, my own ability to figure things out, um, to make things make sense. And and because of what we've been going through in the past year with Lori's health stuff, like I am, I am completely powerless, completely helpless to do anything about it. Um, and that's hard for me. And I, I want to escape I want to go back to watching 30 hours a week of sports. Mm. I want to go into whatever fantasy novel or puzzle or any, you know, anything that I can. And um, God's helping me to not disconnect. Um, and the word of the year for me this year has been seek, to seek God out. Um, and so rather than running into isolation and, and running into to my own coping mechanisms to try and run to him. Um, and, and he has been meeting me and, and it's still scary, Mm. but he's there. So, um, I want to go back to the process Mm -hmm. of that time of confession Mm -hmm. and just getting everything out with Lori. And you talked about how there was like this freedom or a sense of kind of like relief that, you know, things are now clear with you and Lori and with you and God. Um, and I can relate, you know, when that happened with me and Kelly, 
like I experienced almost like this catharsis mm -hmm. and she was great in the moment, but I learned, you know, in the following month or two, just the effect that that had on her. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you guys just in your relationship? What was that like for you, Lori? Mm. So the effect, like those first few days, I remember taking so many walks and just praying and like I didn't have words because there's you know there's a phrase for this in therapy world of betrayal trauma mm. um and I think that that's a new concept um at least like putting words to it because it has been well if your st husband's struggling with porn woman it's kind of your fault that's kind of hmm. been the language that I have heard in some and guys got to pick it up but you must be not doing something right so I rec so that was the language. I didn't feel that. I did feel betrayed and I felt so hurt he'd been lying to me for so long because I had said many times like man you're the one guy I can trust. Mm -hmm. So glad that you're such a man of integrity. Like mm -hmm. I'd speak these things over him and it'd make him crumble inside. Um and over the next like it took at least me you know he asked that night at 3 a.m. I need he's like here, I've been addicted to porn. I've been lying. I need you to forgive me. Yeah, I don't and know I was if I like, was ask as much as a, like, a pleaded demand. <laughs> but I couldn't. Like, I mm. said, yeah, okay. And then I think I knocked myself out with my superpower. But um, oh, it took at least the next year where mm. I, I asked Matt every question under the sun. So when this was happening, what was really happening? Mm -hmm. And that was painful. Yeah. And that took... You know, trust, love is freely given, but trust is earned. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that I, even that concept, I didn't know. But I worked with um, a counselor to even like create a list. Like, what do I need to see from Matt in order to trust him again? Mm -hmm. um, I don't have to blindly trust him, even in marriage, mm -hmm. which you guys are welcome to disagree who are listening. But I believe love is freely given, but trust is earned. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, what was huge on Matt's part is one of those things on my list was get rid of all screens. And we walk with a lot of people who, for whom maybe that's impossible, but I, I'm conf I just always go to first Corinthians 10. Like if we're tempted, God's going to always provide a way out. So it might not be get rid of all screens, but what's a creative solution around that. Yeah. But then also get to the heart of it. That was, um, what I saw yeah. him do by getting in relationship. Well, and, and I think with the get rid of all screens, you say, okay, for some people it might be impossible. I disagree. Mm. Um, there are ways that you can operate your life without immediate access. Like, right. so, so when, when we did this, if I wanted to, if I needed to check my email, I would come to Lori, I would ask her for her laptop. I would open it up on the kitchen counter. I would check my email, mm -hmm. respond to those that I needed to respond to close it up, hand it back to her. And it was, it was something that that was how we operated life. And, and I worked on my end by not being like, what are you doing? And being like the panicked person, uh, mm -hmm. panicked wife. And I, I was, I would wanted to be a part of Matt's success without being his cop, his babysitter or his judge. Mm -hmm. And so that was, yes, of course you can. And then with my anxiety, I would either ask him like, so what did you look at? I'm feeling anxious to be honest about it, like to say my own 
experience and anxiety. And then I'd also take the majority of that anxiety and fear to God and be like, mm-hmm. God, I'm so scared. I don't know what he's doing right now. And mm-hmm. granted, it was in the open, but I'd still be triggering. Yeah, right. Well, and, and the other piece that like, okay, I got rid of screens was hard. It was also necessary. Um, but the other thing that you had said to me was I need to see you engaging your spiritual life, yeah, like, engaging with God. That. And and so like making a practice of actually going and reading the Bible, you know, or listening to the Bible or, or praying or, or anything, like just to see, because you said multiple times, like, I can't trust Matt, but I do trust God. Mm, and yeah. so my becoming connected with God was almost like trust was passing through him. You trusted him with me. Therefore, it, it was like trust was starting to be extended and mm. it was starting to be earned. And mm. that's, it's just, it's a hard dynamic, but it was, it was necessary. Yeah. Good question, Steve. So I'm going to jump into my story now. Again, here's the question. Even if I didn't recognize his hand in my life at the time, how did God meet me in my suffering as a kid, as a young adult, and now? Um, As I was thinking and praying about this, uh, the time that comes to mind of the biggest suffering for me was when I was 11. Um, So I have 11 brothers and sisters who have a huge family, and I love it, and it's fun, and it's also chaotic. But I remember my mom took... I don't know, maybe eight of us, six, seven, eight of us to the store to shop for Christmas. Probably your song was on. Don't you even know it's Christmas? Do they even know? Do they even know? I'm so stressed by this and distressed. (laughs) (laughs) But we went to Dollar Land because big family. We're cheap, uh, but it's, you got to stretch that dollar far. So I was in that awkward in-between age of between childhood and preteen. And I was on, I actually whittled my way away from my siblings. And I was by myself looking at toys. And a stranger came up to me and molested me in the store. And I finally was able to push him away. Um, and then I found my brothers and my mom. And my brothers were like, oh, let's go find him. And, you know, they weren't able to, and we get home and my dad calls the police and it was, I didn't even, I hadn't even heard, like understood about sex yet. Like I didn't understand like anything. And so it really, um, jacked with my sense of safety and security. And I remember sitting in my room, like on the edge of my bed and thinking, is this something that's going to change the rest of my life? And then... I proceeded to forget it. I, you know, how we do when when we cope, our brains are so bananas in how they can have this superpower, haha, to forget. So I didn't remember until college. I was actually sitting in class. Here we are, we're recording here at Cornerstone, mm-hmm. uh, is a part of WCSG where we're recording this right now. And I remember sitting freshman year in English class and my prof said, I want you to just go inside your memory and I want you to write about anything that comes up, good or bad, happy or sad. And I didn't cry. I wasn't a crier. I still, I wish I could cry more. I'm learning in this recent suffering. But I just started tears streaming down my face as I remembered what happened. Um, And that began a season of processing that specific trauma and um, 
how that affected my heart, this sense of safety, security, my view of men. Now, to back this story up a bit, um, for those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while, you're going to be familiar with our my story, likely. Um, but for those of you who'd like a refresher or you're new to the scene, so even starting at a very young age, five years old, I remember um, having these attractions and that's such a weird word to say, attractions when you're five. But this draw toward girls that felt different for sure than my perception of boys. Like boys were like my brothers who I like punched and they hit me back. <laughs> and we played <laughs> in the bad. they smelled bad and we played in the forest and lit off fireworks and stuff. But girls were interesting to me. And I grew up in a Christian home, love my parents, but in 1990s moral majority evangelical America, where there was the only language when it came to quote unquote homosexuality, which I say that because that's, you know, that's the only phrase that they used. Um, there, there was this war on marriage and the even and the homosexual agenda is going to come like murder babies in your sleep, right? Like that was kind of the essence. There was like them and us for sure. And so when I felt these attractions toward the same sex, I wasn't like, oh, I can definitely share this in church. It was like, no, you got to shut that mess down. And so what happened to me, I did shut that mess down. And I say that tongue in cheek. I, I see this now as a version of brokenness that I carry with me. Um, but I was very ashamed of it and definitely saw it as something to be avoided. Um, but then when I was 11, that I that's not causation. I already felt the attractions toward a young uh, age, towards the same sex at a young age. But when that guy hurt me, I'll just say it didn't help. Mm. It didn't help. It's confusing. It's challenging. And um, it, it messes with every level of your psyche. For those of you who have experienced sexual assault, I'm just so sorry. And as Dan Allender has said, I believe even on our show, he's like one of the leading scholars in this field uh, when it comes to sexual assault and faith. Uh, he says the return on investments for the enemy of our souls when it comes to sexual abuse is astronomical. Mm -hmm. And that's just true. Mm. So it didn't help. Then I'm in my 20s and my way of coping wasn't cigarettes or porn or um, video games on my phone or sports. <laughs> I'm so I am being a little judgy of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> because sin is sin. Come on, Lori, look at me talking about the gay stuff and you're I'm like, your video games. But the ground is level. Whatever we're running to that is not God is an idol. And so my my idol of choice, my coping of choice was people pleasing and performance. And I was good at it. I was like Christian leader girl here at Cornerstone University, and I did all the things, and I wasn't trying to be insincere. It was, I loved God genuinely as much as I knew how, but I did not know how to resolve the tension inside of me. Mm. And tension is too light of a word, just the brutality of what I was wrestling with in the church, as well as this um, suffering that happened to me as a kid. And so when I met another Christian girl who felt the same way about me as I did about her, what started as a friendship ended up in a secret same-sex relationship. Steve, I so relate, and Matt, to you too, mm -hmm. to that double life. And I think we so want our churches to be these authentic places, but we're not great at knowing how to work with mess. Mm -hmm. 
And especially when it came to things like pornography addiction, especially even now when it comes to things like LGBTQ and how to engage with grace and truth and love, Mm -hmm. which is what I desperately needed. Long story short, um, I was discipled. I got really suicidal um, because I really... I didn't know how to resolve the tension. I actually believed that what the Bible said about God's design for marriage, but I didn't know how to live that out without wanting to die. And so that tension grew so great, like be- because here's why I wanted to die. The narrative in the church was to be in the church, you are straight. Like they made they we made fun. We made fun of those people. And the only stories that were highlighted were of ex-gay. So it's like people who were in a same-sex lifestyle, like dating all the, like sleeping around and then possibly doing drugs. And then they come to Jesus and then they're magically straight. And I was like, I love Jesus. I don't do drugs. I'm not sleeping around. How do I become more Christian to be straight and therefore allowed in the church? Mm. I didn't know how. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, in order to be to absolve to resolve this conflict, I would need to kill myself or come out as a lesbian atheist. And in that tension, I went to see a therapist because I was depressed and suicidal. And she, by the grace of God, knew how to walk with someone like me and not by helping me to become straight, but really teaching me about what we referenced last time and what we're going to talk about next time about those good needs underneath what I was running toward. Even if it was natural to me, even if I was born that way, which I think we were, I was, and I think maybe you guys were born with a natural predisposition toward pornography addiction. Like the fall has jacked with us Mm -hmm. head to toe. So even if that's my natural desire to get those good needs of my heart met, to be seen and known and loved in performance, in people-pleasing, in same-sex relationships with those are all equal idols. If I could go to my grave with people believing that, that would be huge to understand that the ground actually is level at the foot of the cross. And she helped me to feel those deeper needs and helped me to grieve how those needs have not been met and how really our hearts have been kicked. And that fostered intimacy with God. And... um. I believe it's Jonathan Edwards. He talks about the expulsive power of a new affection is that when you experience this deeper love, which we've all talked about, it makes these other loves less enticing. Right. And so I'm not now straight, even though I'm married to Matt. If you want to hear about that, I'm sure we'll talk about it. I am Matt attracted that God knew the best. He knew the mode he needed me and Matt to fulfill the mission to make disciples. And it was as a married person. I'm not, not everyone like me is supposed to be in a marriage like this. Singleness is equally valuable. But Jonathan Edwards talking about the expulsive power of a new affection. When I met God, he empowered and empowers me now to die to self. That's what his love does, guys. That's what Ephesians says, 3 says. May you know this love, though it is too great, you'll never fully understand it, but then you'll be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So now I feel like we just need to pray. <laughs> like, God help us. Yeah. But yeah. what, I, I, will, I will pause the prayer, yeah. but go ahead. You guys have reflections on that at all. Well, I, I just think it's, we all ran to different things, but we all ran to the things that we could kind of control. 
Mm. What do you, you mean know, by that? Um, in the sense of I could control, well, I thought I could control when and how I engaged with pornography to make me feel better. Now it started to take over my life. Um, you ran to performance and people yeah. pleasing. And at some point, it's not just something that controls the, the unsettledness in you. It doesn't fix it. it. It starts to dominate. It starts to become like this insatiable need. And, and it enslaves you. You become yeah. a slave to what controls you. Mm-hmm. But we think, we think that those things give us control, but they actually do ensnare mm-hmm. us. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. we start running on that treadmill of needing to go back to the same thing over and over and over again. Well, and with my girlfriend, it was similar. Like I ran, I don't know if I thought I could control it, but I thought it would scratch the itch. But stinking thing about idols is it scratches the itch like a bug bite Mm. and you just need more and more. Right. Uh, so real quick question. I know, um, this episode is a nice full episode, Uh, episode. but I, uh, I'm just wondering in that time where you were wrestling between these two options, um, where were you at with God? I I know that Mm -hmm. you've always like, trusted and and loved God, but was there ever any kind of like anger? Like how did you wrestle it out with him? Such a good question, Steve. And I actually, I just met with a, I do a lot of life coaching in this space. And I just met with a new friend who's so bitter at God and Mm. has a story similar to mine. And I said, I was remembering this exact season. And he's like, how do I forgive God? Hmm. And I said, you know, I would guess because of your upbringing, which is similar to mine in this Christian knees world, that the God you're mad at is actually perhaps a lowercase g God who is an amalgamation of the sin the church did, your parents did, every parent sins, pain you've gone through, suffering you've done to yourself. And so I was angry at God. Because it does, he's like, why would he, like, this is the line every LGBT person says, why would he make me this way and then keep me from what I want? And so I was angry at him, I guess some for that, but it wasn't actually him I was mad at. Like, I didn't actually know, I knew whispers, I experienced whispers of capital G God. But when I met actual capital G God through even the rage about the church stinking in this this conversation or my trauma that I experienced, et cetera, I experienced that love that you talked about where he wasn't like, well, I'm going to fix the porn. Right. He's like, I'm here. I'm with you. I love you. And I know mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So I was mad at him, but I don't think it was actually God. Yeah. I can relate. Yeah. That's right? really good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Guys, there is more to the story, and we're going to keep sharing pieces of our story. Like I mentioned last time, I've got you know this health stuff that I'm walking through, that God's meeting me in that suffering. I'm sure we'll keep talking about that, guys. We're all we're all dynamic humans here. None of us <laughs> clearly are in process. In, yeah, we have not arrived, but we are seeking Jesus, and is. Something that Matt and I talk about often is like when we're looking for a church or encouraging pastors, especially as they're engaging the sexuality space, we give so many points if you're trying. Like, <laughs> nobody has arrived. And so if you're just moving there, so if you guys want to be a part of this podcast family and you're just like, I'm stumbling toward Jesus We'd love for you to join us as we stumble toward him too, and that we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone, all of us three and all of y'all watching. It's good news for all of us every day. So 
We do have a question of the week for next week. <laughs> What's your favorite or least favorite word and why? We're talking about this because we're actually going to go through some, we're going to have a vocab lesson of things that the Hole in My Heart podcast often talks about, uh, just to kind of reorient us and just be like, okay, what is this language? Let's talk about what do these things mean? What are core needs, et cetera? But I just want to know you guys, what's a favorite or least favorite word? Matt, I know yours. Go for it. My favorite word yeah. is uh, defenestrate. What does that mean? Um, it means to throw someone through a window or, or some object too. I, I guess throw anything word? through a window. Um, <laughs> it's just fun. <laughs> And not that I've Sound ever, pompous. I've never thrown anyone through a window, but it's just that there's a word to throw something through a window. Yeah, it's just funny. like, huh. <laughs> Steve, favorite or least favorite? Uh, I, I've got so many. My sister just made one up last week. Uh, randomonium. Oh, like randomness. Which is just mm. random pandemonium. Oh, there it's you a go. nice combo I like word. That. I also like quintessential. Ooh, because the quintessence, there are four essences, but there's this fifth essence that's ah. undefinable. It's intangible. It's the quintessence. I love that. Mm. I think my favorite word is one that just popped in my head because we made it up in our family. <laughs> it's the word budge. And it means like to unnecessarily push someone to do something you want them to do. So if one kid is like playing a game and then they're like, give me that. And I'm like, don't budge them. So you guys are also welcome to use the word budge. Okay. Mm -hmm. My least favorite word is exercise <laughs> because I can't spell it to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I like exercising. I know that could be the real joke, but I don't know. Look, at, I misspelled it right here on the paper. I'm like, I don't know. Exercise. I hate that stupid word. But guys, we want to hear from you again. Uh, friend me on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram, Lori Krieg, or ask to join the Hole in My Heart podcast Facebook group. And we want to hear what's your favorite word or least favorite favorite word and why. Now we're going to wrap it up and thank WCSG, uh, the radio station that is hosting us. And also thank you to video guy, Zach, who is behind the cameras. He's doing <laughs> a, what is this? This is like a, a pageant. It's a, a royal wave. We'll get him in front of the camera wave. at some point. And uh, guys, He's shaking if, his head. No, <laughs> <laughs> we will. Uh, but if you want to watch this episode, just a reminder, you can visit YouTube. Why did I say it like that? HTTP colon backslash back. <laughs> w -W -W. YouTube and search Hold My Heart podcast. And if you are watching this and want to listen, you can search the same thing on any of the podcast uh, formats. And hey, also, uh, you can find us at WCSG.org and you can find all of our past episodes as well as blogs that I've written. Um, people, amazing people that we've interviewed at LoriKrieg.com. Okay, that's okay. a wrap. <laughs> For all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we'll see you in a couple weeks.